Yo. Hello, hello. What's going on? Oh, just uh, getting ready for Black Friday sales, or rather have been getting ready. Uh, Launched that this morning, went out, emailing out to like almost 18,000 people, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, Look at you, big email list. Yeah. It's crazy how it grew over, you know, the past five years or whatever. But yeah, um, for anybody that's interested, GoRail subscriptions for the yearly plan are pretty heavily discounted. Um, So they're $144 a year, which is like 12 bucks a month. Um, Pretty good savings from the $19 a month that it usually is. Uh, Jumpstart Pro comes with three months of Hatchbox for free if you want to buy that and deploy it uh, really cheaply. So that's pretty cool. And the Payments with Rails Masterclass um, is on sale for $99 until, and all these are until the end of December 2nd, Cyber Monday. So after that, uh, things go back to normal prices and the payments course will go back up to one forty nine, I think um, it'll definitely be higher, just because. Because of SCA, only. yeah, the the joys of SCA. So, yeah, um, pretty good deals, I think. Um, definitely would personally want to snag that payments class, just because. Oh my god, it was so much effort uh, to learn all that, and so yeah, um, that is the deal. Uh, I know that Ben Ornstein's got his refactoring rails, uh, course on sale for like 50 bucks. Uh, that'd be worth checking out. Probably. I'm not sure what else is going on. Um, but yeah, that yeah time well, that's year, good. You have any, uh, black Friday shopping or itching to go spend money on things you don't need. <laughs> uh, no, I've been trying to really hone that in over the last year or so. I, uh, I did impulsively pull the trigger on gigabit internet today. Ooh, that's exciting. You have yeah. a good reliable provider? Um a small company, a startup, uh Xfinity, and mm-hmm. it's hmm. So I was paying sixty dollars a month for like two hundred and fifty meg. Okay. And then it was 80 bucks a month for gigabit. And I was like, it's only 20 bucks. I mean, that's worth it. A hundred worth it. Yeah. Like 20 bucks. Isn't like anything to scoff at by any means, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so I didn't even ask Shannon. I just did it like a good yeah. husband. Well, you know, it's, it's for your work, right? Like that's, you work from home and when you're recording podcasts and need to upload an MP3 or whatever, like it's going to be so much faster because that's the big thing. Like the big benefit is all the gigabit is symmetric. So like instead of the really crappy upload speeds, you get really good upload speeds, which I would kill for. But uh, unfortunately, no one offers it, even though like 100 feet from my house, AT&T ran new fiber lines to an apartment building. They won't bring it out to my house for, uh, I don't know. They, they will do it for like five grand a month or something. But <laughs> I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> so oddly enough, I only get 35 upload is what the website says. Really? So it's like not true. Yeah. I always have seen gigabit is symmetric. That's Maybe it's not really gigabit as much as just a thousand meg down. Yeah. See, I'm on charter and, or spectrum and there's like, 
I don't know. I think I get like 500 max down and I think you can get up to like 800 down, but the upload's like 30 and I don't, I don't entirely know, but I'm guessing it's some sort of hardware bottleneck or something that they, they have. I don't know. I don't know enough about ISPs internally, but yeah, man, I, for uploading videos, I would love to have, you know, uh, faster upload speeds. That would make my life so much easier, but I don't want to go, I, I could get, you know, a co-working space, but then you're spending $600 a month for that. And and you got to leave the house. Right. Yeah. Which would be good once in a while, but like a co-working space is kind of naturally louder than working at home where I'm screencasting. So, hmm. you know, it's not a great place for me to actually work probably for, for, you know, go rails, but yeah, I don't know, maybe eventually, but what else is new? You, you launched your, um, your new feature, which is uh, a chat feature for Podia. Big, big surprise. We use (laughs) action cable to build a chat app. Yeah. But you know, everybody says that rails doesn't scale. And then, you know, of course action cable definitely doesn't scale. Right. So Mm. to be fair, we, we did consider any cable, um, but yeah. Um, but you didn't need it. That's interesting. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't yet. Um, yeah. So we launched chat for creators and their customers. So currently you have to be a customer um, of a creator, a student or whatever to use the chat um, that will mm-hmm. change, but that kind of helped to reduce some of the bottleneck, but we do load action cable on every page right now because like checking like presence and things like that. So yeah, it surprisingly like I'm just, it just works. So. That's awesome. Um, that probably reduces the number of connections you have quite a bit. Like you're not, not every single, you know, random person browsing the marketing pages is connecting to action cable and stuff. So that's probably a much smaller fraction of your active users that are actually connecting the action cable. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's been, it was a learning experience. So I, for the past, I don't know. I haven't really like fought for it, but I've like slowly tried to like get react into our application. <laughs> uh, not to like single page, all the things, but there's just something about building really interactive interfaces with like a react or a view that I don't know, I think is pleasant. Like if we would have done this in like stimulus, I think it would have taken a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and it's not as, I mean, it's interesting. Like you can, with stimulus, just like append chat messages, but it's not necessarily like as easy to test everything out and manage it, which is one of the really cool parts about like React and Vue is like if you want to simulate something, you just set the state to whatever you want to simulate and voila, you're looking at what the world would look like then. Um, that's not as easy to do in stimulus or whatever. Yeah, and like there's a lot of things that are just so reactive, um, which I know is like ironic because it's reactive. But (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, like you, like you switch between conversations, you can archive and block conversations. Like 
Uh, there's just a lot of involvement and re like using react was just less code I had to write to do those things. Cause it just re renders based on state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, you know, over time as you end up wanting to do little things like, I don't know, you have pluralization or something like you got to do it in JavaScript uh, or whatever for some things. And you just end up with little complexities that you you add over time, and I think it's probably a great, fe- you know, a great feature that React or whatever. I know Intercom uses React for their chat widget, so it, it's it's going to get more complex. You're either going to have to render a hell of a lot more HTML and pipe it over with stimulus and action cable, or just do it all client side. So it seems like yeah. a good approach. Yeah, it's cool because we just like make the action cable connections inside react and then like we just have access to it um what else was i going to say about that started doing uh react testing so using enzyme ingest that's a different experience mm. um, tell me about it i haven't used enzyme um, but i've seen Jest and used that before yeah, so Enzyme is an Airbnb library for testing React components. And it gives you kind of like the standard matchers you would expect. Um, I don't you, know, it's fat. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, like, how's your setup? Is, is your React stuff a separate thing or is, does it live in Webpacker? Um, and then where do your tests live too? Like, do you run it as a separate suite or part of... Do you hook it into the like Rails test command? Yeah. So to answer the first question, React is in Webpack. Um, I made a a separate pack right now for messaging. So React actually doesn't bleed into any of our other pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and the test I put, I mean, it's kind of, I guess, subjective where you put the tests, but I put them in the spec folder to match like, you know, you have app JavaScript. Now with Webpacker, I put like spec JavaScript and just match our like folder structure. And then in the package.json file, I tell, uh, I have like yarn test and yarn watch and those know where to go find those tests and run them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then does your test suite trigger the yarn test or does that do you just run those commands separate in your ci or whatever uh we run them separate currently so we split our heroku tests across currently 16 dynos using knapsack pro like we -hmm. did an episode that a long time ago and um that made it difficult to like throw yarn test in because I would also need to parallelize them and or they would all each run like all 150 tests would run on every dyno during test right because there's no like splitting that's built into the yarn test stuff yeah and knapsack will do that but I think I haven't reached out to support, but like, I think it's only one or the other. Like you can run R spec or you can run yarn. Um, I don't think you can do it like simultaneously. And so we actually, we run pronto to run our like RuboComp linting and that runs on circle CI. 
So I just threw in another, I don't know what they call it, another build or something like that. That's just for yarn test. Uh, and so they run, uh, they don't run in parallel because reasons, but uh, that fires off. Maybe they do run in parallel, actually. It doesn't matter. So yeah, we have currently three different testing worlds. Um, but it's kind of nice because like when I see just test fail, I like know where to go. Like if Pronto fails, I like know why it is. And if Heroku fails, I know it's a problem with our spec. So. Mm-hmm. so you have the Heroku CI running the Rails tests and then the rest of them run on Circle CI? Yep. Uh, interesting. Any reason why you don't have them all run on the same like Heroku CI or Circle CI? Um, so that goes back to what I was just talking about. Like our Heroku setup is knapsack. And so like it divvies up the test and it's hard to divvy up two test suites. Mm. And knapsack doesn't work with like circle. Um, we just already had a Heroku set up. And so uh, yeah. um, it's part, it's part of our pipeline build. So fair enough. Kind of roll with that. Yeah, I had um, Andrew Mason reach out uh, and help me with some GitHub action stuff because they the GitHub actions now has a CI caching up to I don't know four hundred megs or something, which is pretty small actually. And uh, he helped me fix those because I had like taken their examples of like the yarn and bundler cache and and drop them into my um, config. And I think the yarn one worked out of the box, but the bundle or one with the gems didn't. Um, and it was just cause like I hadn't pointed it to the wrong, I had pointed it to no folder or something. And just, it, it was different. The bundle install command versus the one, the, the cache that was like, well, we didn't see any cache there cause we're looking in a different place. And, uh, it's been nice because like my tests on GitHub CI, which I want to use, it's nice to have all of my tests and everything right in GitHub together with my code. But the test suite was like pretty fast normally, but it still took like eight minutes to run because it had to install dependencies and the gems took a while to compile Nokogiri and whatever every single time. And, and now that that's working, like the test suite runs in, three minutes instead of seven or eight minutes, which is great. Um, still longer than I would prefer, but it, you know, you got to start up your Docker images and all that and just reinvent the world uh, before you can run your test suite on CI. So uh, in theory, in, in the future, they'll probably make that a little bit faster and, and be able to cache some of the other things, but it's looking more, much, much, much better now. It's funny how much work you have to do just to fine tune your CI to run your applications. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I tried getting, I tried running uh, field help on GitHub Actions, and I was using Ruby two six five or whatever, and it told me that wasn't supported. Oh really? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Andrew told me two six three was the latest version. I don't yeah. really know why. Um, it's kind of a buzzkill for me. Yeah, I was kind of surprised with that. Like, it seems like they would, I, I don't know, maybe there's something strange about it. I know that if you were to, like, use a Docker image that had 
um, Ruby in it, you could just use that and use any version. That's not a problem, but the built-in like Ruby thing is doesn't support it for some reason. I don't know why. It's tough. If I was using Heroku, I'd just use Heroku CI, but I'm using this platform called Hatchbox for field help. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, man, that's been, we've been adding some little features for that. And I think we're going to start a redesign of all the UI and everything pretty soon. Um, but the, the little things we've been doing lately have been pretty nice. Just stuff on my bucket list for a long time. Um, like for example, uh, the, so backups for your application, use the backup gem, which, uh, works great. And it has all kinds of different little things like Postgres, MySQL can, um, archive files in your database and split it into chunks and then sync it to S3 or rsync or whatever, which has been fantastic. Um, but we, um, didn't actually have anything in the UI because like the original version of this was like very simple. So we'll install the backup gem, set up the cron job and back up your application just to the local server. So we weren't actually setting up uh, S3 or anything and, and you could just go in and edit the file on the server, which works fine, you know, as a MVP of the feature, but we're at the point now where like it would be really nice to drop in your keys and choose your bucket and your region and just have your uh, S3 you know, backups automatically set up for you so you didn't have to change the file manually over SSH. So we're getting that done and adding DigitalOcean Spaces in there too, which is going to be a great oh, little Spaces. Yeah. So um, Spaces is like, this is the beauty of spaces and the smart move that DigitalOcean did. Spaces is way less reliable than uh, S3, but it's API compatible. So if you use anything at all that can work with S3, it can automatically work with a uh, DigitalOcean spaces as long as you can change the URL that it goes to. So instead of going to the AWS URL for your bucket, you just point it to the you know, nyc3.digitaloceanspaces.com or whatever the URL is for DigitalOcean. Um, it just works. It's awesome. It was a really smart move on their part. So I saw that the other day because I was looking at wiring up spaces instead of S3. And I noticed several articles where they just like literally use the AWS like S3 gem yeah. and just changed exactly. it. Like, Change the endpoint to DigitalOcean. I was like, whoa, that's cool. Do they even go as far as like the same headers and stuff they accept? And I think even send back or whatever, like the AWS um, headers. So it is like a pretty much perfect copy or whatever of the protocol and stuff. So uh, that I'm sure they did very deliberately for increased adoption. And it certainly works well. The only downside is like there's like a... There's like a minimum $5 a month, I think, that it costs you. Um, or at least that's what it was when it originally launched. But there's been times where it's gone down like fairly. It's gone down not a lot, but like enough where you're like, okay, no avatars work on my site today. Mm-hmm. That's not good. You know, and AWS is just so reliable. 
And um, it reminds me of a tweet that I saw the other day that was like, if you want reliability, like go to US East one or whatever, and just always deploy your apps there. And it's like the largest AWS region, but it's also like the most reliable one too, because that's where I like, I think Heroku lives there and most other things just kind of defaulted there. And that's why it's so big because it was one of the, if not the first, it was one of the very first regions for AWS. And so like the, the stability of that over DigitalOcean spaces right now is why I would still, you know, send my backups over to AWS instead of DigitalOcean for now. Um, but you know, in the future, that's going to get much better and I'm sure it'll be way more competitive and stuff, but there's just been some problematic downtime that I've seen uh, once in a while. And I'm sure you could look through their status page and see kind of the history of that. It's not as, not quite as good as, as Amazon. I ended up using S3. I finally got to where I know how to use S3. <laughs> and when I say that, I mean, I just copy and paste my like core stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm in a good groove with like building stuff and I really do like Hatchbox. Like, um, I don't know. It's just <laughs> That's really, good to hear. It's- yeah. I'm not, I'm not just saying that because we're friends and on a podcast, like, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's kind of, I don't know. I Like I hear a lot of feedback about it and there's something nice about like, you're going to choose the size and cost of your servers. And then you can use Hatchbox to like basically run your own server without having to deal with a lot of the little stuff. And you don't even have to SSH in to read your log files like you would if you used Capistrano and stuff. So there's conveniences that it adds and whatever. Or if you want to just, you know, I want to install Elasticsearch now. You just edit it in Hatchbox and voila, it's up and running. So from for my own personal projects, I'm like, man, I love this. Like, I don't want to pay a lot for them, but it would cost me money on Heroku to run these projects. But I can save a lot if I just have five apps on one server, uh, you know, for hobby projects. It's pretty right. pretty handy. Yeah, I dig it. Um, it. There is something about like I was troubleshooting the dumbest, the dumbest thing the other day. I mean, so dumb. Uh, <laughs> and I could just like SSH in and look around. Um, what what yeah. was so so bad or so dumb? <sighs> Chris, so it was the thing I messaged you about. I was trying to get, uh, I couldn't get my action text uploads to work. And like, I couldn't get S3 configured. And I like, was like, I've done this oh, 20 yeah. times. Like this yeah. is nothing new to me. And it's because I was editing uh, my credentials file and not my storage.yaml to like mm-hmm. pull from those credentials. Yeah. Um, I lost like two hours to just like fiddling around the internet. <laughs> it's actually well, the reason I didn't get digital ocean spaces up. Uh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's because I was like, Oh, I'm just really like screwing this up. Well, I was, but for different reasons. So, Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because like, it's kind of crazy that, um, I I don't know. It just seems strange to me that 
the format of that file is different than most of the other YAML files. Like most of them are scoped to your environment. And then, you know, like your database, like your environment first, and then your database credentials. Um, And that one's like, no, why don't you just list all the options in here and then configure it in your application.rb or your environments. And it's like, it seems different than everything else we've ever like used for YAML configuration. Like it just seems off. So I always forget that too, whenever I'm in there editing it and I'm like, why isn't this uploading? Like there's, it's complaining about the disk storage again, but like, I'm not using that. I thought, and every time it gets me and it's just inconsistent. And the same thing with the um, rails, what was it? Five, two, or 5.0 that introduced the credentials file, but it didn't, it wasn't scoped by environment. And you could put your scoping in the environment if you wanted, but it was like still weird. And then is that, is that not still how it works? Um, well, so you can still do it that way. However, rails six introduced, uh, you can run Rails credentials colon edit dash dash environment equals development oh, production staging. And I didn't so know that. that will actually, instead of putting config uh, master.key and credentials.yaml.enc, um, instead of putting them there, you will actually get a config credentials folder. And then that will have your development.key and development.yaml and production.key and production.yaml and stuff. So then that way you can share. Yeah. So you can share, you know, the credentials that you want to share. So all of your development team will have access to the, the um, development credentials. And then, you know, you may have special credentials for the test environment, like for CI or, you know, that needs to be shared with everybody. And then you have maybe your staging, which has some, uh, you know, or definitely for production, like only certain people have access to to edit that or whatever. Like, I don't know. Um, so, so you can at least separate all, all your credentials that way. Cause I was cheating before and dumping everything in the environment, uh, nesting like normal inside I still do. one credentials file. Yeah. So you don't have to do that anymore. So let me tell you about all the other mistakes I've made since we talked last. <laughs> so Saturday I was writing tests for field help and well, no, they, I wasn't writing tests. They started failing and it was after I had done the S3 stuff and the error message I got was uh, wrong number of arguments gave zero expected two, uh, and the the error was in ERB twelve. I was like, "What does that mean?" So like, I had to do like a verbose test run, go all the way into Rails, look at where it loads. Uh, it was happening in storage.yaml, and it was because my credentials. I was trying. Uh, instead of digging into the environment, I was trying to send to the environment and that was failing, but I had no idea. And so <laughs> oh, like, man. yeah, this goes back to my problems with cable.yaml I ran to and my problems with the environment, like the credentials, the way I'm doing it right now. Oh, I actually, that's interesting. 
actually wrote a class that is responsible for going and getting the proper environment for my credentials. And I can go back and delete all that. <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, in Jumpstart, I've built something like that too, because I don't like my code doesn't actually know what kind of credentials you're going to be using. So I actually have like uh, four, I think it's, yeah, four levels of um, looking up a credential. So first it will look for an all caps underscored environment variable. And so it could be like Stripe public key. So we'll check your environment first because we of course need that if you're dumping it in um, to Heroku environment variables, Hatchbox, whatever. You might use environment variables. So we have that as level one. Then we have um, the, what was it? I think it's the credentials environment files, those separated out credentials. I think it checks there. And then, um, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it checks the nested credentials first inside the individual credentials. And, you know, it checks one or the one or the other of those first, and then it falls back to the other one. Then secrets still exists. So I also fall all the way back to that, which was like, I typically would have secrets and then just have the secrets embed like the environment variable there so that I wasn't just like defining an environment variable and then my code just using it somewhere at random. I at least would, you know, put it in the YAML file and, and reference like this comes from an environment variable all in one place. So I ended up building that where it was like, here's four or five different ways that we're going to go check for credentials. And, you know, if we don't find it here, we'll check the next one until the very end. And then if it doesn't find anything, we'll just return nil and let your code blow up or whatever. But yeah, I was like, man, this is just a lot of stuff. It doesn't seem like we need that level of, it just seems like some of the options that we got with the credentials without scoping by the environment that just seemed half baked, half baked. And I didn't know about it ahead of time. Otherwise I would have like weighed in on the GitHub issues and been like, Hey, wait a minute. Why aren't we like scoping these by credentials? Like every single other thing we have. Um, and we probably, I don't know the cable.yaml probably need something like that too. Although it's probably a little too late for a change like that to get easily accepted. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you see Rails 5.24 RC1 got released, which will be the very last bug fix release of 5.2? I did not see that. That and um, 6.0, or no, 5.2.4 got released officially today. That's what it was. Um, and so that's the very last uh, I guess bug fix release for Rails 5.2. Um, 6.0.2 RC1 came out as well. There's a lot of random bug fixes in here. Even um, 5.2 has some changes to make uh, the logger fiber safe, which is kind of awesome. So it must be getting ready for Ruby 3. Um, and then two, like Ruby 2.7 preview 3 or something came out today as well which drops in about a month on Christmas. So yeah, I'm excited. There's some, you know, more movement in the 
community on the, I don't know, the big releases. So I'm excited to see what <laughs> I guess right. Rails six one is supposed to ship roughly around RailsConf next year, I would assume. But we all know how it went this past year where it was like many months <laughs> late. Yep. That was pretty funny when, because it wasn't it, we were talking to DHH on the podcast and he was like, I need to just shove that out the door and get this launched. <laughs> so, oh, this is cool. Um, on GitHub, the Rails repository, you know, they have Jeez. those used by um, metrics at the top of like here's projects that depend upon Rails. 1.3 million repositories, open source <laughs> repositories, uh, depend on Rails, which is awesome. However, you start looking at this list and it's all like, my first Rails app, my Rails blog, my first Rails app, Rails sample app, <laughs> to do, quiz, Rails blog. Hilarious. I don't know if like 10 people that's awesome that I've done. It's so. really cool to see, you know, 1.3 million projects um and that are open source too that's nuts <laughs> yeah well you know it's it's not necessarily a good thing either i mean that's not it, it becomes a job for you to go maintain something that you like maybe kind of use maybe don't use i extracted the um the forum features out of go rails into a gem called simple discussion. And I still once a month get some, <laughs> you know, issues on GitHub that are like, how do I add file uploads? And I'm like, are you sure you want to do public file uploads on a forum? That seems kind of, seems like someone can just go create a, you know, several thousand dollar AWS bill. If, if that's what you want, then go for it. But I don't think we're going to add that feature for you. Sorry. So, I don't know. Some of some of those things end up feeling more of a burden, like more of a burden than it was worth. But I also like really enjoy the being able to yeah. contribute back to the community like, that you know got me like to where I was today. So. That. Like, yeah, kind of torn. Uh, sometimes I really want to like popular, do all the, or- the open source stuff, and then the other yeah. times I'm like, I just want to live a very quiet life. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh man, I just forgot uh, or just remembered that uh, one of the, speaking of all the credential stuff recently, um, one of the things that was kind of confusing is like most people have, if they've heard of the credentials, they'd normally just run rails credentials edit without the environment. And um and that's the default. Like, even if you're in, it doesn't respect the Rails env environment variable, which I feel like it should. Um, so it doesn't do that. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to kind of help people with on Jumpstart was like, I want to guide you to use the scoped ones. And so I just changed it to actually generate those when you save your configuration for Jumpstart Pro which was like really cool and all until um, I like <laughs> did it, published it Uh-oh. and then went to bed or something. And then the next day is like, Hey, uh, it's overriding my credentials every single time I update the jumpstart configs. And I'm like, 
oh crap i should i shouldn't have been writing this code while i was tired like that's so obvious and i was like okay let me change this real quick like generate if it does not exist and that fixes it you know but i was like excited because i was like oh i've never done this before like i'll just go open the rails source code i'll uh look at the generators see what code it's running and then i'll just call it from my code and sure enough that's what i did like just instantiate a copy of the generator call the like generate encrypted credentials method or whatever it is and voila you have your keys you have your credentials and it uses the template and that's another cool thing um like when you're starting a new rails project one of the things that like i thought was frustrating or it's not frustrating it's just time consuming is like oh you want to use app signal or honey badger or um airbit or whatever and stripe and all these things like omni off twitter you end up like, what do I call the key for the client and the secret? And where do I put that in my credentials? And then what gem name was it? And then what config file do I have to set up for these? So like now Jumpstart Pro will actually, it will, if you enable your keys, you can go ahead and say, um, well, you generate your credentials file and it's actually an updated YAML template that's commented out and it has spots for you just to go and drop in your Sentry keys, your Honey Badger keys, whatever. It will automatically install the gem for you and the configuration file that's set up to point to your credentials. So you can just check a box and say, I want to enable Honey Badger and I put my keys in the credentials and it takes care of the rest of it for you. It'll do that now for like all these different performance and error monitoring things, but also for MailChimp, Drip, ConvertKit, and Intercom, which is pretty cool. So like these common things you set up every single time, now it takes you like 10 seconds to set up rather than like 10 or 15 minutes as you go through and test things. You know, look up what the gem was called and what config you need to do and what command to install it and so on. It's pretty cool. I'm like really happy with how it turned out but it also reminds me that like i feel like rails needs like it would be great if the framework had more of these convention things that you could just register a gem or something and then it could just drop in and and the user wouldn't have to like go look up the readme for every single thing yeah that's really cool and Um, do different stuff for each one Still, a that lot of things I think me. Could do better with some. It didn't really bite me. More conventional. It just frustrated me this last weekend because everybody calls everything something different, like private, public, secret, token, access, OCD. So, yeah, a hundred percent. It's ridiculous, and then all these things too are like, you know. This one's install a gem, then run this command. This one's install a gem, then, you know, add this YAML file or install this gem and then add a config initializer. And, you know, everyone's different. And you're like, you know what? I would love to use their service. I just don't want to have to, you know, look this up every time. The easier you make it for me, the more I'm likely to use it. And just trying to make uh, all that stuff, you know, a no brainer for you with, jumpstart and it's been really fun to like 
you know, kick off a project and check a box to enable Sidekick. And yeah, this gem yeah, is downloaded, awesome. installed, it's, added to your uh, proc file. You can get yeah. pushed to Heroku. I have and a, there I have and a free you know, Grizzlies pretty, game. Pretty fun. It's time saving. Go doll up for. So. Well. Yes. Well. Ooh, have fun. Only good. Go sports ball. I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, well, go have fun. Uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving and See you, hopefully stay out of uh, fights in Walmart on Friday. But uh, yeah, well, I will talk to you next week then. See ya.